0: Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Karn. It's great to be with you today. We're going to pray, and as we do so, we're going to um, pray in a particular way for um, for three. I was going to say young men, three men who are um, stepping forward on Saturday um, into a fuller share of the sacrament of holy orders. They're going to be ordained priests for the Archdiocese of Seattle. And Sacred Heart Radio is joining the Archdiocese of Seattle on Saturday to broadcast the ordination of three men to the priesthood live from St. James Cathedral. So I encourage you to listen this Saturday at 10 a.m. on Sacred Heart Radio. You'll be able to tune in to the ordination of Chad Hill, John De Palma, and John Nenevaj, and I apologize if I didn't get his last name correctly, John Nenevaj. Uh, and they'll be ordained to the priesthood. So please pray for them. Pray for them as they approach this next step in their own discernment, and their own life of faith. And, um, uh, and they will be the, the spiritual leaders, the spiritual fathers that those who are ordained are intended to fulfill. In, the, in, in this community of faith. And so please do that. Please pray. And and remember, this Saturday, June 25th, 10 a.m., Sacred Heart Radio, tune in, and you'll get to experience through the radio or stream it from the app, the Sacred Heart Radio app, the ordination to the priesthood of Chad Hill, John DePalma, and John Nenevaj. So we will pray for them and, um, and pray for the ordinations that are happening around the country. uh, This is that time, this is that season when that's happening. So let's pray for them right now. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. We thank you and praise you for the ways that you love us and take care of us, you bless us. I thank you, Lord, for providing us with the gift of the sacraments and the priesthood, the priesthood that is traced back to Your choosing and ordaining of the 12 apostles and then their successors, the bishops, and their helpers, their co-laborers, the priests. I thank you, Lord, for this mystery of how it is you continue, Jesus, Lord, the way that you continue to minister in our midst through the priests, through the sacraments, to bring us a share in your own divine life. Thank you lord god for loving us so much for caring for us so much and we do ask lord that you would bless in a very special way deacons chad john and john as they prepare for ordination this saturday and we ask that they would be under the special intercessory care of our blessed mother as well as under uh, be welcomed into your most sacred heart lord uh, on this special weekend uh, that they will be uh, in which they'll be ordained. Thank you, Lord, for that. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So much to talk about. Uh, and I was like, where do I go? <laughs> what do I talk about today? Um, we're in the midst. We, and my family, several of us, are doing this 33 Days to Morning Glory, this uh, these prayers of uh, preparation, of total consecration to Jesus through Mary, following the Saint Louis de Montfort uh, path of consecrating one's entire self to Jesus through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, and um, it's uh, so. There's that in, in some of the reflections that Saint Louis de Montfort puts forward in his uh, his th- his uh, path of preparation. They're drawn from the imitation of Christ, and they're so powerful. It's just, it's such an amazing set of insights that come from that incredible book, The Imitation of Christ. If you haven't read it, please read it. In short, I'm not going to dig into it uh, a lot today. I just want to say that the spiritual generosity of the saints, their determination— And let's even call it a heroic pursuit of God and of godliness. And their radical disgust with anything that is within them that dishonors the Lord or even that holds them back in their pursuit of God is so, I don't know if the word is refreshing, challenging for sure, convicting, it's very convicting, well, it's convicting to me, the way that the imitation of Christ uh, presents this, the, these saints, these holy men and women, as examples for us, as, as standards and models. That's what a saint is, a canonized saint. Canon has to do with the, with the standard. The standard Christian is the saint. The standard Christian, what does it mean to be a typical if you want to be a type of Christian, it's someone who is pursuing saintliness and the God-given mission by which that saintliness is to be made manifest in the world today. Yeah, there it is. There it is. Whatever else happens in my life, whatever happens in my life, the Lord is about a task. He is—the uh, Lord is on a mission, <laughs> To turn me into a saint who fulfills his mission for my life. And these aren't just poetic words. These aren't just, you know, uh, uh, religious devotional words. No, whatever your job is day to day, whatever the thing is you spend your time on day to day. The Lord is saying, I'm going to meet you there. I'm going to be involved in that. And in the midst of all of that, you're going to have stuff show up inside of you, show up around you, and show up beyond you. And And I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there to meet you and prompt you. And I'm going to be nudging you to do certain things or avoid certain things, take certain actions, step up, give of yourself, extend yourself. And all of this as— the fodder, or the matter, the, the stuff through which the Lord is saying, you know what, through this, I can purify you. I can cleanse you. I can humble you. So in, in one of these reflections on the imitation of Christ, there's a, a reference to temptations and trials. And the imitation of Christ in in St. Louis de Montfort picks this section out and pushes it right in front of us. (laughs) He's like, thank God for trials. Thank God for tribulations. Thank God even for temptations. Not temptations because they're going to lead you to sin, but they are going to test you. They're going to try you. They're going to make you step up and make a decision. How are you going to react to this? These, These are not things that, only involve like enormous stuff it's in the little stuff here i have a cup in front of me there's a cup you hear that noise in that cup are some chocolate chips there's no reason this cup should be here (laughs) my keto healthy eating plan does not involve eating chocolate chips well why are they here well they're here from yesterday Well, Tom, what was happening yesterday? Well, yesterday, just before I recorded Sound Insight, I needed these chocolate chips. I needed them because they accompanied the leftover cheesecake. (laughs) What, Tom? Why did you have cheesecake? Well, because I found it there in the refrigerator and it was going to go to waste. So better that I eat this old cheesecake instead of throw it out, but... Cheesecake without some kind of sauce? Well, what good is that? So, no sauce at hand? Hey, we have a bag of chocolate chips. You see how this goes? Now, you do know that as I was walking that journey through the open refrigerator down to the chocolate chips that I'd sprinkle upon the cheesecake and eat some of it as I was prepping for the program, I'm like, really? And it's almost each step of the way, uh, there's another voice inside of me saying, Tom, really, are you going to do this? Uh, Are you going to betray your healthy eating plan? You had such a good day. You've done such a good job through the day today. Don't you realize that you're in this weak spot in your day? It's an early evening or a late evening and you're tired and this is the time you're going to fall. Don't do it. Don't do it. Put more chocolate chips on. Now you can eat it. Isn't that the battle? That's the battle against the flesh. Spirit is willing, flesh is weak. Spirit is willing, flesh is weak. And a cutesy example, but I'm trying to pull it down away from very few of us are going to have demonic manifestations that we need holy water to 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 speak with authority in Jesus' name and cast away the demonic. This is not the kind of warfare that most well, 99.99% of us are ever going to face in our lives, we will face demonic attempts to undermine, overthrow, confuse, cloud, distract, doubt, um, uh, the life of faith, for sure, not a question. Where we are going to face the call to holiness put to the test is when things don't go our way. Why did that person cut me off? Why was that person mean to me? why did I say that harsh thing to my loved one? Why did that, uh, Why is my spouse ignoring me or uh, not, not loving me in the way that, that is really needed right now if I'm going to find the encouragement I need to, to fulfill my duties today? Right? I'm speaking somewhat generically, but I think you get it. The call that you have to be a saint is going to be lived out right in the midst of the day-to-day. So, uh, I, I, it's one of the beautiful fruits already that I've seen in this 33-day preparation for total consecration. Um, we're still in the first 12 days, which is this period of examination, purification, uh, sort of way to, to clear away the blockages so that we can advance more fully in stage two, which is coming up for this 33-days Uh, to this act of total consecration. So anyway, so that I I mentioned that in passing. That's all just in passing. (laughs) The theme of the ordination just brought to mind uh, an allied theme to the call we have to be saints to fulfill the God-given mission because you are a saint. You're called to be a saint. The holiness is already in you and the Lord wants to unveil it. He wants to strip away the things that are holding it back and he wants to be Using you fruitfully, usefully in the usefully in the world, isn't that one of the most beautiful things that happens in in life? Uh, again, I'll make it personal for me. One of the most beautiful things that happens in my life is when someone says to me, in some form or the other, "Tom, what you said the other day, it was spoken to me. It was like God was speaking to me, and it was exactly what I needed to hear." Or, "Tom, what you ended up saying." was at the exact time where I was passing by somebody. And when I heard that, I thought, how can I not take action based on what I just heard? Craig Howard shared a story about that. It didn't make it on the air. Our our interview went longer. And he gave a beautiful story of listening to Sound Insight. And uh, I was raising the challenge to Uh, to take more, uh, I don't know, more generous action or whatever it was. And he was driving by someone that was asking for for money on the street. He stopped the car, got out, started talking with this person, and just ended up telling a, a more extended story of how God used that to break into his life, to get him to act differently. And as a result of that, this person was blessed, and he was blessed too. That, I mean, isn't that powerful? Isn't that what what we want our lives to be, uh, we want the Lord to do with our lives, is that somehow through how we live, how we pray, how we act, or what we avoid, we are going to influence, we're going to influence others to a closer walk with Jesus Christ, a, a more full giving of themselves to the Lord God. And, and, and how about to awaken or recover a greater sense of uh, of a call that is front and center in front of Catholics here, now, and today. We're talking, I mean, we're hearing all about the Supreme Court uh, promulgating some decisions, and, and the big one, of course, that we're paying attention to and waiting for is around Roe versus Wade being overturned. And I talked pretty strongly about it yesterday, that this there's going to... It's not a question. There's going to be a reaction. If, let's say, when, and I hope you're praying that Roe versus Wade is overturned, and it comes back to the States, that there's going to be... A likely an ugly and likely a violent reaction against um, people of faith, uh, against really Catholics most of all, but against those who are uh, fervently and um, overtly pro-life. And it has been happening since that again, the draft uh, the draft um, decision was revealed. and it's one of those things where, we don't want that. We don't We don't want that. But we better be ready to hold our ground spiritually and with peace but courage, stand for life. Stand for life. Okay. I'm coming up against the end of this segment. And when I come back, I'm going to come back around to what I said at the very, very, very beginning of the program, where I mentioned this character, Socrates. Okay, here we are, back in the program. So today, talking about, in some ways, discernment. Just that reality of, how do I sense how God is going to make me grow in holiness? Become a saint. If becoming a saint is too big of a, a leap for you, how about just advance in holiness? Grow in holiness. Live in a way that the union that I have with God in faith, hope, and love— The union I have with the Lord Jesus Christ—that is intimate, personal, and profound, and life-giving—will be nurtured. It'll be, uh, it'll grow. It'll flourish. I I want that. I want that for my life in faith, hope, and love. In trust, confidence, and delight. I want to trust God more. I want to have more confidence in God. I want to delight in God and in the things of God more fully. How do we do that? Well, if we follow the wisdom of Peter Kreeft, um, an amazing professor of philosophy at Boston College, he's uh, advanced in age these days, but he's still active. In fact, he spoke at a commencement at Franciscan University, and uh, gave this really delightful, insightful, not a surprise, really brilliant, uh, and, and not that long, uh, commencement address, uh, about like 10 factors in our culture today and, and what, what the answers are. Really, it was really, again, just pure Peter Kraft. Well, um, one of the sets of books that he wrote were these dialogues where Socrates would encounter certain characters. Socrates meets Jesus. Um, there's uh, Socrates, the unaborted Socrates, and um, it, and several other uh, Socratic dialogue type books. Um, and if you if you follow some of what he says publicly and what he says in some of his writings, um, the way in which he sees Socrates as exhibiting this amazing search for God, this amazing search for living authentically before the ultimate reality. Uh, he had uh, was a co-founder of a group that met at Boston College to have these uh, conversations, these rich conversations. And they called it the St. Socrates Society. The St. Socrates Society. So there's the link. <laughs> there's the link between all of my themes today, is that we're all called to be saints. Now, Socrates lived before the time of Jesus Uh, was not Christian, and yet so much of what he did was exhibiting the, if you will, the best of what a fallen human being that seeks to pursue the truth uh, with all of his life and giving his life for the truth, as he understood it, um, is very powerful. And and so they gave him the honorary title, St. Socrates. Well, I had the privilege and, and and have had been drawn to right reading uh, to study to study to be taught and to read the platonic dialogues uh, plato's dialogues where socrates is the the character is the is the main figure right so plato writes about these socratic dialogues well at one point it must have been close to 20 years ago I identified seven insights from the writings of Socrates, seven, call them principles, you know, so these key launching pad ideas for Socrates in his own life, in his own journey through life, that I think Peter Kreeft would smile at and say, yeah, these are authentic human insights that we can all benefit from. So with that as the introduction, I want to draw from the writings of uh, Plato, the, these different Socratic dialogues, and walk through seven key principles from Plato, I'm sorry, from Socrates in, in the Platonic dialogues, um, that uh, Socrates teaches, and we can benefit from. And so here we go. So. Um, And these are more than self-help books. right? This is more than like, uh, I actually had the desire, hey, I could turn this into a book. And the book I called uh, What What Socrates Knew That Covey Forgot. (laughs) What Socrates Knew That Covey Forgot. Seven Insights from the World's First Life Coach. Seven Insights from the World's First Life Coach uh, Socrates. Okay. And who's Covey, Stephen Covey, right? The seven habits of highly effective people, right? All of that. Um, cause self-help books are super popular because people are trying to get insight into themselves and they're trying to reach a, a, a better place in their lives, etc. Okay. So let's, let's dive right in. Well, what did Socrates know that Covey forgot? Do you know, do you know what Socrates knew that Stephen Covey forgot? I hope what you're saying is, I don't know because if you said, I don't know, then you are on to the first principle that Socrates utilizes in his dialogues. And so what happens is, if you take a look at like self-help books, they're often proposing that there's an expert that has an answer. Well, Socrates, he comes at it differently. So read his book to get all the answers. Socrates, in his dialogues, he actually is going to dig into someone's own ability to reflect to help them realize that, you know what, not only do you, you may not have an answer, but I'm not even sure you have the question. Have you forgotten how to question? That saying I don't know is very powerful. It, it opens up a horizon. For dialogue, it opens up a dialogue for conversation. For example, earlier today, I was—I um, have an office where I do my real estate work from in Coeur d'Alene. It's this really cool place called the Den. Lots of small, like uh, small businesses, startups uh, have offices there, and then they also have um, just a coffee shop. So lots of folks are always gathering there, and I walked out the front door, I was just going to get out and enjoy the sun a little bit, and there was a, a fellow there um, that I know from St. Joan of Arc, introduced me to the guy he was talking to, we started chatting, and then it was just the two of us chatting for a little bit, and he, um, he mentioned something in passing about the movie industry in connection with times of recession and depression, And he said, well, you probably already know all of this. And guess what I said? No, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I was not afraid of showing that I was ignorant. I was not afraid of showing that I lacked knowledge. But rather, my lack of knowledge became a source of inquiry. It became an open door. And it gave him a chance to say, oh, well, historically, in times of depression, An industry that uh, emerges and grows is the movie industry because when people are sad and depressed or down, they want to immerse themselves in a different world. And movies offer that opportunity. Oh, well, I didn't know that. I wouldn't have known that unless I had said, I don't know. And so on the one hand, it's about being a seeker knowledge. And that's what Socrates was, is he was a lover of wisdom, a philosopher, a lover of wisdom, philosophos, so uh, to love and and wisdom, a lover of wisdom, a philosopher is a lover of wisdom. And he was always seeking knowledge, seeking people who could give him knowledge, but he would only show that he was on the search by saying, I don't know. So consider consider that um, it may be the case that We are not coming into new levels of insight, new levels of knowledge, because we are pretty comfortable thinking we have all the answers. There's not a lot of new stuff for me to learn. Um, And and we can literally just forget the reality and the importance of questions. We can forget to question. Uh, I remember my spiritual director would say to me, answers are only answers for those who ask questions. And he would bring this up in the context of, I have knowledge and I could give it to you, but until you are in the position of seeking for the insight that my piece of knowledge will um, uh, will provide to you, it's not gonna mean anything. You can understand what the words are, but you won't understand them in depth until you feel that, that longing, that suffering, that pain that's involved in not knowing. I don't know. There's a famous uh, letter to a young poet by Rainer Maria Rilke. And it, it has this this uh, famous phrase in it, live the questions. I'm going to read it because it presents an entirely different way of Relating to um, the concept of of questions, because questions doesn't just mean you're putting in the question, or you're a questioner. You doubt that you can come to an answer, but there's a different reality here. It's it's a philosophical reality, but it also has a profound impact on our spiritual life. So that's why I'm bringing this up. this This idea of saying I don't know is very powerfully. It's a powerful way for us to. To actually grow and live as disciples. So let's go to this uh, in a letter to a young poet from Rainer Maria Rilke. He says, I would like to beg you, dear sir, as well as I can, to have patience with everything unresolved in your heart and to try to love the questions themselves as if they were locked rooms or books written in a very foreign language. Don't search for the answers, which could not be given to you now, because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps then, someday far in the future, you'll gradually, without even noticing it, live your way into the answer. Live the questions now. Perhaps then someday, far in the future, you'll gradually, without even noticing it, live your way into the answer. There is so much wisdom in that, in that sense of saying, I don't know. I don't know the answer here, so I'm going to live the question. What am I called to? Where am I supposed to live? What am I supposed to do right now? Maybe, Maybe you're not even, you don't have the capacity, the space to receive the answer. And so the challenge is to live the question this this is actually uh, linked to by an, it's analogous to an insight from Saint Augustine regarding intercessory prayer. In intercessory prayer, it's as if we're questioning. we're coming to God with this with a a situation, a crisis, a a, a condition, a reality that we don't see the answer. God, where are you? what's going on? Lord please hear, please respond. Lord please, we're coming if you will as a questioner. And we're living that question in the form of an intercessory prayer request. And Augustine says that prayers unanswered stretch our hearts, stretch the very situation that we're seeking to have God address. But it's through the unanswered prayer that continues to be put into question. It continues to be Uh, petitioned for, it continues to have uh, the act of intercession occurring for, that reality, that opens us, it stretches us to be able to receive this answer from God, the answer that comes from heaven. But it's only because we were stretched. If we stopped praying, we would stop being stretched, and we wouldn't be able to receive the answer that would come from heaven. That's St. Augustine. And well, that's funny because St. Augustine kind of flows from the the tradition that goes back to Plato. And so um, learn to say, I don't know. Learn to bring, I don't know. Learn to bring that kind of contemplative wondering into your prayer, into your relationship with the Lord, into your own life. And in, in terms of these like foundational realities, don't just think that you'll be able to find the handbook to look up the answer and then apply it and problem solved. No. The the biggest challenges in life are very often ones that will involve living with the questions, the burning questions, the challenging questions until um, until one day we live our way into the answer. I just think that's beautiful. Well, this is Tom Cairns Sound Insight. I am drawing from uh, Socrates, or the way that Peter craig referenced him, St. Socrates. We're all called to be saints. Let's learn from a Greek philosopher some of his fundamental principles and how they can apply to our lives today. We all want to live well. And we will, well, hopefully, come to live well. Back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you today. uh, In this last two segments of the program, I'm going to continue reflecting on these seven insights drawn from Socrates that will help us live well in the world, to live well as Catholic Christian disciples in the world. Uh, One last thing I'll say about Socrates and I don't know before I move on to the other ones was a common theme in these Socratic dialogues is that he ends up talking to someone at the beginning of the dialogue who says, I know, I've got the answer. And it's only by being questioned by Socrates who puts into question what it is he thinks he knows before he comes to realize that he doesn't know what he thought he knew. And as a result of that, Socrates was called a gadfly, a pest, (laughs) buzzing around and just leave me, you're not leaving me at peace. Let me be at peace in my opinion that I somehow am convinced is real knowledge. But Socrates didn't call himself a gadfly. He called himself a midwife. He was someone who would attempt to help bring to birth true knowledge. And so I love that. I love that. Um, Sometimes it can be a bit of a pest to someone who's going to shake us out of the maybe lethargic, reflective setting where we think we know the answers, when in fact, we have to be willing to pressure test and let these things be put into question. All right, the next is uh, his very famous uh, dictum, know thyself, know thyself. And I think that this is one of those really beautiful and fundamentally important, um, uh, important uh, principles for our lives. Uh, know thyself. It's about having a sense of vision, or s- seeing into one's own identity and into the fundamental realities of our, our own lives. Know thyself. Yeah, he. Where did that come from? It came from. It was. Uh, it was. It was inscribed uh, outside the door uh, to the temple of Apollo at Delphi uh, in Greece. And the idea was, know thyself, was what confronted people who were about to walk into the door of the temple of this god Apollo. And it meant, realize, you're not God. So act act that way. Act in accord with your truest, deepest identity. Know who you are. So know thyself is such a big deal when it comes to living an authentic life, because it's really not about us becoming anything we want to be. Like, let's just choose some identity that we're drawn to, but rather we have the, the privilege, the opportunity to become the one that God intends us to be. One way of saying it is that our call is not to become who we are not. We are called to become who we already are. That's kind of strange. Well, a better way, uh, This again, this is not, the call to realize our deepest identity is not to become who we are not, but rather to become who we are. In other words, your deepest identity, it's already present within you, but in a hidden state. And it needs to grow and flourish. It needs to expand and, and uh, extend. It's um, the acorn will become the mighty oak, right? It's already there, latent, but it needs to grow. It's uh, the way that it's talked about in our tradition is with a Latin word, ablatio. Ablatio is the process of removal. So growing in holiness is less about saying, I'm not holy now, and I'm going to become more holy. So, and if you talk to me next year, I'm holier than I was, but I'm not as holy as I'm going to be if I continue on this path of holiness. So growth and holiness is somehow uh, moving away from my point of departure. right? So it's about growth and development and advancement. But that's not the traditional Catholic understanding of growth and holiness. Growth and holiness in a Catholic understanding is not by growth and advancement, but by prolepsis. How's that for an interesting word? Prolepsis. Prolepsis is the unveiling of a reality that is present, but is present in a hidden state. And the example that was used in our tradition— Saint Bonaventure is one of the more prominent spiritual writers who uses this ablatio, this concept of the process of removal, is the concept of the sculptor. And you've, if you've listened to Sound Insight over the years, you've heard me say now and again the story of Michelangelo coming into the workshop of Donatello, seeing a big, enormous piece of uh, of marble set aside that no one knew what to do with. And Michelangelo saw it and said, I saw David looking at this big block of marble. I saw David and it was my job to set David free from the marble. And so that big block of marble wasn't meant, it, it, the sculptor's job wasn't to say, what can I make of the marble? But rather, the sculptor's job was to remove what was hiding David in the marble And that's John Donne, right? The Anglican priest and poet said, the sculptor does not make the statue, he removes what hid it. The sculptor does not make the statue, he removes what hid it. And that is a beautiful and powerful way that we can take a look at the reality of growth and faith in our own lives as disciples. It can apply to how we look at marriages. It can apply to how we look at our children. It can apply to our family. All these different realities. The sculptor does not make the statue, he removes what hid it. The parent does not make the family holy, he removes, she removes what is hiding, the holiness that is already present, but in a hidden form. You don't make your child any more holy than that child is on the day of her baptism. On the day of their baptism, that child is holy. And it's your job as that child grows to parent, educate, form, disciple that child so that the holiness that is already present will be made more manifest. There are things that mar and hide and block the manifestation of the life of God already present in that child. That's what sin is. And so it's our job to help remove All of those attitudes, behaviors, ways of seeing life that are holding back the manifestation of holiness in their lives. So that, I hope, is something to help you recognize what it means that in knowing yourself, that there's an identity that you already have, and it's hidden within you. Uh, And I want to add one little other element to this and then move on to the next one, and that is that the uniqueness, the preciousness, the intrinsic dignity that is yours is connected to that identity. And that identity isn't just within you, it, it comes from beyond you. It comes from the idea and the mind of God for who you are. And so knowing yourself really flows from knowing Christ. Okay, did you get that? Knowing who you are is going to come from the dialogue you have with Jesus Christ. Looking Jesus in the eyes, he will reveal you to yourself. You don't know who you are until you look in the eyes of Christ and he reveals to you who you are in his mind, in his eyes. That's where you come to discover, oh, it comes to be revealed to you who you are. You will never know yourself. If you're looking for your identity outside yourself and the things of the world and the things you do and your talents and your abilities and the stuff that you have and the name that is yours, where you live, uh, what your job is, all these other things that are easy for us to associate with our sense of identity, no, go within and within yourself, discover Christ, Jesus Christ waiting to meet you and ask him, Jesus, show me who I am, reveal to me who I am. Who am I in your eyes? Please, Lord. And that will ground our deepest identity. That will be a huge blessing in your life and in the lives of your children. You can do the same thing as a family. God, who are we? For a couple, Lord, who are we in your eyes? What, what are we about? What are we to be about, Lord? We, we want to fulfill, Lord, that greatest sense of the, the flourishing of our identity. We don't want it to be hidden. We don't want to block it. We don't want to bury it. We want it to come out into the open. So please, Lord, help us to know ourselves. And that sense of identity leads to the next one, which is another one of these dictums, one of these sayings, these principles in in the writings of Socrates, which is the unexamined life is not worth living. You remember that. The unexamined life is not worth living. So that's where you move from identity to purpose, from vision to mission. That goes from the vision, the identity, be a saint, too, the purpose, the meaning, fulfill God's given mission for your life. See, these things, you can see these foundational stones even in the writings of Socrates that we are called upon to recognize that the life we live is it has a purpose. It's not meaningless. That we are called to live well in this moment. And that was, that was Socrates' task. How do I live well in the city? was his way of describing what he was about. Why did he want to have, know himself? He wanted to live well as the person that he was in the city. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Kern. It's great to be with you today. Okay, so talking about the principles we can learn from Socrates that, frankly, are fundamentally human. And if we embrace them, they will not only help us to live well as human beings, but to advance in our own life of faith. Do you recognize that the gift that you are, that that's fundamental to your identity, also manifests itself in the gifts that you have? Oh, and by the way, also in your limits. And boy, do we ever think about the gift of our limits. Thank God we're not all (laughs) unlimited, but oftentimes we learn to live well as the people that we are, as both people who've been entrusted with gifts and with limits, and with limits. And to be able to sort through all of that and say, Lord, for what purpose did you entrust me with these gifts? Lord, what is it that you're saying to me about what you would have me do? Who would you have me become? How would you have me live in this one life that I have? Do you ever ask that of God? Please do that. Do you ever foster that in your kids, in your marriage? Lord, why did you bring us together? Lord, what is your mission for our married life? Ask that of God. Ask him to give you clues, indicators, signs. Carrie was at a rosary group earlier today. This is Wednesday. And she was saying that one of the women she was talking to said, you know, we moved here and we're still not sure. Lord, why are we here? What is this all about? What's your mission? Um, But there was a sense of saying it's not about creating the most comfortable life, homestead, and, and things like that. But there's a sense of, there's a purpose to be ready, to be spiritually ready, attuned, spiritually um, strong, to be able to fight a spiritual battle, and, and to do so with the weapons of the, the spiritual warfare that uh, St. Paul talks about. And I love that. I think that's amazing. I, just, I love that. So the unexamined life is not worth living. One of, the, one of the most amazing ways that we live an unexamined life is by being too busy. Busyness is a way of robbing you of reflection. Busyness will rob you of self-reflection. Have to be aware of that. Don't doubt that. Don't put that in. Don't wonder about that. We have to be willing to stop and ponder, to... Um, be quiet, be still, and examine our lives. I recommend you do it first thing in the morning. I recommend you do it last thing in the day. How did my day go? So that's an examination of conscience, right? Um, in our philosophy class, we we didn't write a mission statement. We wrote a philosophy of life. And that was that's a whole task, a really interesting thing to say. What's your philosophy of life? What do you see your life to be about? Uh, not Not for today's program, but Really interesting thing to think about. Okay, fourth one. I'm gonna I'm gonna name all seven, even if I don't cover them all well. Uh, the fourth principle that Socrates um, used. He in one of his dialogues, um, he said to his uh, he was meeting his interlocutor, and he said, "Show me what I look like. Show me what I look like. Isn't that a great statement? Show me what I look like. Now, this was." part of Socrates' cleverness because he meant two things by that. The first was that he was told that this young man that he addressed it to actually looked like him physically. But what he meant more was that this man also had a reputation for being really astute at dialogue. And show me what I look like meant that one of the ways I'm going to come to have a mirror in front of me about what I believe, where I stand, what's important to me, how I'm living, is by being in authentic dialogue with others. In authentic dialogue with others, we're going to be asked to um, uh, seek not only to understand what other people's positions are, but to take a stand. And to go within, and to stand within ourselves, and to think, and then to say, "How do I stand together with you? How do I stand apart from you? How do I, um, how do I express to you in a way that you can understand what it is I hold precious and true?" Show me what I look like. There are going to be ways that we'll come to understand more about ourselves only through having rich communication with others. Then, if we Just try to do it alone. So know thyself can mean step back from others. Show me what I look like means let's be together with others because that will also help us advance in our own thinking. In fact, that was one of the fruits Carrie shared about getting together with that other group was she felt a sense of confirmation when she heard it in other people's voices. Yeah, that that reminds me of, of that was uh, that really helped sharpen my thinking about what we're called to do. That, oh, when I heard that, that was not what I felt called to do. But this other thing, yes, that is. So when you get together in fellowship with others who have a common mindset, a common way of seeing the world as Catholics, Christians, as those uh, called to be planted in this moment in history with a God-given mission, all of a sudden there can be a beautiful refining. Iron sharpens iron, where we come to, to recognize um, what it is we're called to. Okay, fifth. What's the fifth uh, principle in uh, Socrates that I want to bring out? Is that is, what is good is self-diffusive. What is good is self-diffusive. The good is that which overflows itself. And that, for me, is a powerful Um, and paradoxical critique of what we think about is what is good and what is fulfilling. We tend to think what is fulfilling is that which fills me. This says, no, what is good overflows itself. It pours itself out, gives oneself away. So if you're going to seek to be fulfilled, don't seek to be filled, but rather seek to be emptied. So, I love that. I think that that's one of the things that we discover in life is that we find it so fulfilling when we invest ourselves, time, energy, attention on others, and help them come alive. Please don't be a parent if you're not willing to be self-defusive, give yourself away, because you will find yourself pouring yourself out, and you know what? It does leave you empty. It does, but there's also a tremendous sense of fulfillment and joy that comes because you see other people come alive. And if we are in a life situation where we are called upon to be pouring ourselves out every day, then that is just a radical reminder to ourselves that we also need to allow the Lord to pour into us and others to pour into us. or oh, we'll just end up empty and then we'll have nothing to give to anyone. Okay, number six, life is training for death. Wow. Life is training for death. Life is about learning how to die. That sounds all rather like abstract and foreboding for not for not for Socrates. For Socrates, it's the most practical thing at all of all. Now that sounds crazy. Why is it the most practical thing? Well, If you don't realize and you're not living in the light of the truth that one day you will die, then you won't know how to live. And then if you stop and you plumb the act of dying, what happens in the act of dying, then it might give some light into how you ought to live. Well, dying, in Plato's mindset, is returning to the source, returning to the one from whom you come. And so there's this sense of entrustment, giving over, radical Uh, a radical act of entrustment. And if that's what is asked from him in his act of dying, it doesn't have to be a passive act. It can be the most active act, the act of full, final, complete, giving oneself back to God, over to God. Well, guess what that also means? It means you can practice that every day. When I wake up in the morning, Lord, I give you my day. I give you my whole day. I give you my whole life today. I give you everything today, Lord. Life is training for death. We can live like that. And you know what? We won't take ourselves too seriously. We won't take ourselves too seriously. Last one in the last minute that I have. It is better to suffer injustice than to be unjust. It is better to suffer an injustice than to be unjust. And not only did Socrates die uh, drinking the hemlock, um, because he didn't want to set a bad example for the young, pe- for young people. He didn't want to escape when he had a chance. He would rather suffer injustice than be unjust, not willing to live under the decision of the, um, the, the legal authority. Uh, but we see that in today's feast, yesterday's feast. Today's feast, St. John Fisher. Yesterday's feast, St. Thomas More, both martyrs at the hand of King Henry VIII Uh, because they refused to swear the oath of allegiance. They remained true to God, and as a result, they suffered injustice rather than to be unjust and to swear an oath that was untrue. So these powerful insights from Socrates have, hopefully, beautiful applications and manifestations in our lives. All right, God bless your day. Join me tomorrow on the Feast of the Sacred Heart on Sound Insight.